0: Good morning Church, Uh, I trust that uh, you're all nice and comfortable uh, and you enjoyed the worship service this morning. Um, Thanks for joining um, to our congregation, Uh, it's great to have you with us Um, and uh, if this is your first time um, thanks so much for uh, uh, staying around and uh, get ready to hear uh, hopefully a great word. Uh, Today um, going to talk a bit about giving and talk about faith and giving and uh, you know this can be such a fraught topic Uh, you know if you uh, are new to church or or maybe you don't believe in God yet but you somehow happened upon our stream um, maybe you might think that the church just wants your money uh, but that couldn't be further from the truth or you might have heard Uh, the prosperity doctrine preached, you know, where you just give and give and uh, you give to get blessed. Um, And there are elements of that that are true, but uh, that's not why we give. And so today, hopefully, we're going to uh, put some things right and maybe uh, show you some things about the importance of our giving that you didn't know before. And, And through that, Uh, Hopefully, you'll come to understand and know uh, a heavenly Father in a new way, and the importance of giving to our faith. You see, giving is an important part of our faith, Um, and uh, you know the Israelites had to do it in the Old Testament, uh, and we're encouraged to do it now. You know, even in Luke six. Uh, 38, it says, you give and you will receive. Uh, Your gift will return to you in full, uh, pressed down, shaken up, uh, shaken together to make room for more, running over and pouring into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You know, God can bless us whenever he wants. He doesn't need us to, uh, to give, giving certainly unlocks some things for us, but he's God and he can bless us at his choosing. So if you've heard that uh, Pentecostal saying of uh, if he can get it through you, he can get it to you, uh, I want to tell you today that I don't believe that that is quite right. You know, so We serve a God who is all-powerful and he can bless you if he wants to, whether you give or not. So instead, I'll put it to you that if you won't let it go, then he won't let it flow. So there is an element of our heart having to be involved and being able to let things go so that he can get things to us, so that he will get things to us. You know, this idea has implications in our lives, not just for our giving, but maybe if you are carrying a hurt or an offence, you know, if you won't let it go, then he uh, won't heal you. He can't heal you uh, until you let it go. You have to take it to the cross and lay it there for him to do his thing. You know, we serve the master giver. You know, he gave us his son. So he has set forth a a template um, that, that made an example of how we are to live. He is so generous to us and we should be striving are trying to be more Christ-like and be generous like him. So what should our giving look like? Or what, what heart aspects should there be? Well, first I want to say to you that giving and faith go together. And in Hebrews 4, um, you know, uh, Hebrews 11, sorry, verse 4, um, it gives us the story of Abel. And it says how that... Uh, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. You know, Abel is the first in the list of the heroes of faith in this chapter. So God obviously places right giving, faithful giving, as an important part of our lives. You know, God will use our finances to test us all the time. You know, we have decisions to make every week. Do we pay this bill or that? Do we tithe? Do we give? Do we put offerings in uh, when the bucket goes around? And this is a test of our priorities. It's a test of our love. But most importantly, it's a test of our faith. You know, do we really trust God for all of our needs? And do we really put him first? See, Abel, he's not listed in that Hall of Fame because of what he gave, but because of how he gave. And if you look in Genesis 4, verses 2 to 5, we'll read the story says this, later she gave birth to his brother and named Abel, that was their mother. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. You see, Cain and Abel reflect every person's choice of how we approach God. You know, Abel was careful to give God his best, the finest, the firstborn, the best pieces, while Cain gave a token, the leftovers on his own terms. And Cain's gift was not given from a heart that was devoted to God. Cain's response hints at why God did not accept Cain and his offering. Those who become angry when someone uh, corrects them on this reveal their own hearts. See, Cain further rejected God and by ignoring God's invitation, he'd made a wrong choice. And if you read a few verses on, you will see that Cain ends up uh, being banished. So... Whatever you sow, you reap. Abel offered an offering that was pleasing to God, while Cain did not. And faith and giving go hand in hand. And it is impossible to please God without faith. That's Hebrews 11.6. So we must have faith to please God. We must give from faith. Second, you know, if you think that God wants your money, That's not true. He wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. He can do it without your money, but it's better that you're along for the journey. He doesn't care about the amount you give. He cares about the attitude that you give it. See, if you're not giving by faith, then don't bother, because it doesn't get you anywhere. But that's not a reason not to give. Instead, I would say to you that maybe it's time to examine your own heart in this matter. Maybe it's time for you to exercise some faith in this area. And we have a great example in Mark 12:41 to 44, where Jesus uh, tells a story of a widow and her two uh, small coins that she puts in the offering. So Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. See this story describes the last public act of Jesus before he was arrested. He watched as the people put their offerings in one of the thirteen boxes that were there. There were nine for the required gifts and four for free will offerings. While he was sitting in the court of the woman of the temple, so God makes uh, His followers. What makes what we do with our money His business. He did not end up there by accident. He was there on purpose. He placed him there to observe. He sat close enough to identify the two coins that the widow put in. These two coins are called a lepton. This is the smallest denomination in the Greek mint. In that era, a denarius was one day's pay, one whole day, while a lepton was one 128th of a denarius, a very small amount, and not enough to even buy a crumb of bread. Yet because it was all the widow had, her whole livelihood, her example has encouraged others to give sacrificially and faith to this very day. See, the widow's gift demonstrated her conviction that everything belongs to the Lord. It also demonstrated that she had faith that God would not let her down. See, Jesus evaluated people that day by what they had, not by what they gave. See God expects us to find ways to give back to him from all that he has entrusted to us, from both out of our abundance and of our lives, whether that is time or resources. You see, he knows that where our treasure is, there our heart is. And so above all, he wants our hearts. So like the widow and Abel, our giving, should be a love response to God. We don't give in order to receive, but we give out of this love response to God. And in doing so, God does indeed promise to bless us. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And thirdly, we should give from revelation, not reason. Luke 19, 1 to 10 as the example of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus um, and let's read it and then we'll talk. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man himself, to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save who are lost. See Zacchaeus' encounter with Christ led to a revelation that he needed to give away half of his wealth and repay anyone he had cheated, going way beyond any kind of restitution that was required by the Old Testament laws. And this was unprompted. Zacchaeus only stood in Christ's presence. Jesus never stopped him and said, only 10%. You see, love asks how much and legalism asks how little. Zacchaeus had a revelation of Christ and made a response. He did not get salvation because of his giving, but rather his giving was evidence of his repentant actions and God's work that was already going on in his heart. You see, this rich tax collector did what the rich young ruler refused to. You can find that story too. He gave his money to the poor as a public indication of his decision to follow Jesus. When you give by revelation, you let God reveal to you what he wants you to give in faith. If you pray and ask God, how much do you want me to give? and trust in him, then he will show you. He will not ask you to do things that you are not prepared for. Just like David didn't immediately go and slay Goliath. He had some training first. He had to kill the lion and kill the bear, and then he killed Goliath. It's the same with the parable of the talents. Each of those three guys got what they were prepared for and capable of dealing with. See, giving from revelation, again, is evidence of God's working in our hearts. So if your revelation is 10%, then great. But if you don't have a revelation, then I encourage you that you need to spend time and get some revelation on what God would have you to give. Maybe it's just simply being obedient and making a commitment to be a giving kind of person. So that covers the heart matters. Now, let's look at some characteristics of what our giving should be. And for that, we come to 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about an offering that they were going to receive. See, he had already taken an offering or received one from the Macedonian church. and the Macedonians, they were really poor. They were on the bones of their backsides, they were having a hard time, but still previously they had given freely and joyfully. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians to encourage them in their giving. So let's read 2 Corinthians 8, we'll start in verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. That's how we should be. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Jesus begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for in their first action, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm and your love from us, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. That is a great thing to aspire to. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing you, testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you are in need. In this way, things will be equal, as the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only little had little or had enough. And so we have a number of points. And I made it really easy for you. They all start with S today. So we have eight S's. And I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. So make sure you're uh, switched on, paying attention. And um, hang on. All right. So number one, our giving should be sacrificial. Now, what that means is um, the word sacrifice, the root of it comes from two uh, Latin words. One, sacra meaning sacred and to physio, meaning to uh, to make. And so sacrifice essentially means to make sacred uh, or to make holy or to devote it to God. So we should devote our giving to God. Um, you see, Paul uses this passage of Macedonians to motivate the Corinthians to give generously. You see, the poor... Are often more generous than the rich and perhaps that is because they know that they have to rely on God for everything that they need and they learn this every day. They learn that everything belongs to Him. So how are you going with that? It should be spontaneous. This is not done out of obligation or a sense of I ought to do this but as a natural outpouring of our love, of God's love in our hearts. See, Paul reiterates it in verse 8 when he tells the Corinthians that he's not commanding them, but he's rather expecting the sincerity of their love will prompt them to give freely and beyond their ability. See, in contrast to the Old Testament, giving comes out of love for Christ. It is not a requirement. Number three. Our giving should be selfless. You see, selflessness undergirds the whole of Christian life. It is a guiding principle for giving resources that God entrusts to us. To experience the joy of giving and an awareness of God's provision, it is best to give selflessly. Again, the Old Testament had obligation at its centre while the New Testament has others at its centre. It is not about ourselves. It should be systematic. Now, I realise this might be seem like a contradiction to the one about being spontaneous, but actually, uh, there are places in the New Testament where giving was systematic. And by that, all I mean is a commitment to give. So those who uh, never make this commitment will never give because until you start giving, you can never afford to or you never think you can afford to. But I can tell you, if you uh, do systematic giving, regular giving, you will find that you can afford to and that you will live better because you give. But again, it's about the heart. Giving should be spiritual. You see, Paul knew that the Corinthians valued the virtues of faith, speech, knowledge, godly living, and love for the apostles. And giving should join this list. To Paul, giving was a spiritual exercise, just as faith is. You see, when we give from revelation, we make our giving spiritual even an atheist can give from reason. Our giving should be sincere. It should reflect our sincere love for God and a desire to advance His ministry and the church. God doesn't need our gifts to accomplish His work, but He generously allows us to be part of what He's doing. Our giving should be steadfast. That means that we start well and we finish well. It means we don't give up halfway through when maybe our legs are cramping up or uh, we're having a hard time. It means we stay on the course. Like a yacht sailing, they stay a course until it's time to tack and they stay that course and they tack again. Eventually they get to the destination but they are steadfast and going in that same direction. We should be unwavering in our giving. The things that happen in our daily lives should not uh, affect our giving. And lastly, our giving should be shared with others. The purpose of God's plan for giving is that the needs of the church and the needs of the world are met equally. The one who has much is able to share much. The one who has little is able to share that little. As we share in proportion to what we have, what God has entrusted us with, the needs of the whole body are met. So giving, it's pretty important, isn't it? So Giving and faith, they are tied together. Abel is a prime example of how faithful giving netted him a position as the first person mentioned in the faith chapter in Hebrews 11. The widow's giving, the sacrificial nature of it, showed her heart was totally for God. Zacchaeus, he had a revelation of who Jesus Christ was and his natural response was, to give. So I encourage you today that we should have a lifestyle of generosity, we should have a lifestyle of giving, that to not give is contrary to the example that uh, Christ has set for us. You know one of the great things about uh, Christ is that we can trust that whatever we give he is faithful in. That verse in Luke uh, 6 that I mentioned at the beginning says that, you know, if you give, you're going to have more than you could ever uh, manage, that you could deal with. You're going to have an excess. And so we should give liberally. Uh, You know, Corrie Ten Boone, in a book, she um, writes a story about um, how she did this, um, like an illustration one day to some kids. And she has like these two jugs and they have some water in them. One of them has a narrow spout and one has an open top. And, you know, the one that with the open top, when they pour it out, the water comes out really fast and really quick and then there's nothing left. And then the other one, it came out much more slowly and it took longer to come out. But then she got another container and she tried to fill these ones up. The one that was open wide at the top and gave freely was also filled freely and much more quickly and was able to be poured out much more quickly. The one with the narrow top took longer to fill and then took longer to empty. You see as Christians we should be the wide topped jar. We should be pouring out so that God can pour back into us. The more that we pour out in our love for him the more that he will pour out for us. We can rely on God for our giving. So, remind you again, please be generous. Please take up a lifestyle of giving. You will find that you never go without. I've, it's my own experience that Kelly and I, you know, a number of years ago, um, we uh, essentially gave away a house deposit when we're newly married and God has come through in a big way. We had a revelation that we needed to do it at the time, uh, we did it, and God came through. Uh, we weren't thinking about, well, how's this going to work out? We were just thinking, you know, God has said, so we will do. And so, you can also experience that. So, as I wrap up, I'm going to pray, and I trust that some of this has settled in your hearts, that some of this has uh, uh, triggered you to maybe make a change and live a more generous lifestyle. Hallelujah. Father God, Lord, I thank you for the wonderful people uh, of the congregation and of those who have tuned in. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of generosity, a God of blessing. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you gave us the ultimate gift of your son and uh, our salvation, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, take up a lifestyle of generosity and give generously to the church, to others, in all manner of ways, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would reveal ways for us to give back and to uh, encounter you in a new way and to stretch our faith, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would show us that you will not let us down, but that as we give, you will fill up at the same time. Hallelujah.